breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Always an honor to be with all of you. Thank you for joining me. Hope you had a blessed and a wonderful Thanksgiving, whether you chose to physically distant or whether you decided that it would be appropriate to get together. Our family did. We kept our distance, ate outside, wore masks, did all the right things. And, uh, you know, listen, uh, the virus is out there. It is making its way through the population, and we will continue to be smart about it, continue to mitigate, but we have to continue to be human beings, to uh, prevent the other diseases and not just focus on one and, and do the best we can to minimize risks and maximize benefits for everybody with every condition, whether it's medical, economic, or whatever it might be, we need to move forward. And this weekend, I hope you were able to gather together, whether electronically or in person, and pray and get closer and remember all the things that we are thankful for in this country, our freedom our liberty, our unity, our history that we share and we hope to improve going forward as a country. Always there's constant change. And in this week's program on Reform This, I hope to bring you more perspective of things that you just don't get on mainstream media, things that you just don't get elsewhere. We have a lot to talk about this week. I want to talk to you about the assassination of an Iranian nuclear scientist. It's almost like you can't make this stuff up out of novels, out of um, movies, if you will. And it continues. And, you know, we'll talk about we'll talk about it. Also, we'll talk about Secretary Pompeo's legacy. What is that? What will it be? And then sort of the American Muslim community, even veterans that have served. What should we be talking about? Where are we at now? Almost over 19 years since 9-11, as we embark soon on 2021. And last, the story in France continues to evolve with the issue, the question of ID cards for Muslims. ID cards. More dysfunction or a good idea? We'll talk about it. Now, first, let me get into almost what seems like a fictional story. There's this nuclear scientist, what is thought to be the founding father, the father of the country's nuclear weapons program, Mohsen Fakhrizadeh, widely regarded as the father of the nuclear weapons program in uh, Iran, widely viewed as one of the central linchpins in its move forward towards ascension to a nuclear power, was found dead, assassinated on the streets of Tehran shot and killed last Friday, dealing a blow to Tehran's atomic ambitions and threatening to increase the tensions between Iran and its foes. And sure enough, Iran's foreign minister, Javed Zarif, blamed terrorists for his death, the terrorists of Israel or the United States. They didn't know who, they didn't say who it was that was responsible, but sure enough, they already knew to blame Israel or the United States. And... State television said that uh, state television said that the scientist Mohsen Fakhrizadeh was killed while traveling by car in a suburb of the capital Tehran. Attempts to save his life failed. News reports mentioned 
State Department declined to, t- declined to talk about it. This is from a Wall Street Journal report notes that the physics professor and brigadier general in Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, remember, designated a terrorist organization by the United States, the IRGC, was the chief officer of the agency that spearheaded Tehran's nuclear weapons-related work in the 90s and the early 2000s before it was disbanded, according to a 2011 IAEA, International Atomic Energy Agency report. In 18, Netanyahu, Israeli Prime Minister, accused Fakhrizadeh of being a key figure in what Israel says is a covert mission to acquire nuclear weapons. Iran denies having a nuclear weapons program. And by the way, only a day after his assassination, the supreme leader of the Death Star, known as the Iranian government, the supreme leader, the Khamenei, on Twitter noted that he was the head of the nuclear defense program. On Twitter, he noted that. So their denials, now in the wake of the death of what is likely one of the primary holders of the future of the nuclear weapons program now, thankfully, is six feet under. (laughs) Iran still tried to deny it publicly that they had a program, and yet in the post-mortem tweets, it appeared that they acknowledged that he was their nuclear defense program head. Pretty interesting. Now they deny that it's going to have a dent in their ability to enrich uranium and advance their ballistic missile programs, etc. But I guarantee you that if he was a target and that as he's been removed, that it was felt that it would significantly set back the Iranian nuclear program. Because these scientists often are foreign trained and they get that foreign training and are able to build it upon return to Iran. I don't know his background specifically, but all I can tell you is that as much as the materials like uranium are important, as much as the reactor is important, the human assets are important. According to the Wall Street Journal, his expertise involved not only technical and programmatic issues, but likely the mechanics of building the personnel base and infrastructure of a nuclear weapons program in an atmosphere of extreme secrecy, said a U.S. intelligence official. Were Iran to restart its nuclear weapons work, his experience would have allowed him to achieve this work much faster than were Iran to begin from scratch. Now, it obviously is going to make it far harder, far more difficult for the incoming Biden administration to revive the international nuclear deal Now, I'm sure one of the first things that's going to happen is the IRGC is going to be no longer rendered a terror organization. And I I hope, ladies and gentlemen, the moment you hear that, you know. You know whose side the advisors of Ben Rhodes and others are on when it comes to keeping America safe. Yes, I do believe that they are not on our side. I'm sorry. This left red-green axis, the combination of Islamist collectivists working with globalists, and working against deterrence because an Islamic supreme country that believes in Islamism, that believes in an end-of-time scenario in which they will run the Islamic world and believes suicide bombing is okay, would believe 
in suicidality as a nation. So preventing them from getting nuclear weapons, I think, is a must. It is a must, and this target was an appropriate move. Now, Mohammed Bagheri, Iran's top military commander, talked about harsh retaliation. Hussein Dagan, a military advisor to Iran's supreme leader and former defense minister, pointed the finger at Israel and that he's not going to take the pressure. The UN, surprise, surprise, responded that it was a criminal assassination and warred against adventuristic measures by the U.S. and Israel. And Iran stood by them. And remember, just last week, and I think this sends another good message to Iran, just last week, one of the UN rapporteurs sat and congratulated Iran on its work in helping to achieve, yes, wait for it, the UN congratulated Iran on its success in moving forward in a political solution in Syria. I kid you not. Look it up. A political solution in Syria. That is unmitigated insanity. A country that has suffered a genocide going now from 600 to 650,000 dead to 10 million displaced, still in the throes of the cauldron of a civil war. Radicalizing groups as the Assad regime continues to inflict death and destruction on every group in the country. Now remember, this assassination comes only months after a major act of sabotage against Iran's nuclear enrichment program when an explosion caused severe damage to a centrifuge assembly hall at Iran's main nuclear site in Natanz. So the, the, the foundational aspects of their program are being destroyed. Human, technical, physical, and economic. Now, I prom- I'm pretty confident that the Biden administration is going to help them rebuild the economic part of it. The human part, I don't know. We'll see if they have any of those assets. There aren't that many of them. Unfortunately, this is not just about nuclear program. This is about the future of crimes against humanity inside Iran and in the region, in Syria and Yemen and elsewhere. Because the crimes against humanity done against the Iranian people are empowered when the Iranian government has more money. To think that somehow sanctions hurt the people is a tripe, is a tripe of folks who are pro-regime, are pro-dictators. Now, before you go thinking this was a a hawkish move by the anti-Iran, pro-Israel hawks in the Trump administration before he left, you should be reminded that the Obama administration in 2014, all the while the heads were giving pallets of billions to the terrorists in Tehran, the Obama administration in 2014 added to its sanctions list Iran's Organization of Defensive Innovation and Research, known in Iran by the acronym SPND, which was established by Mr. Fakhrizadeh. They were due to be removed from the UN and U.S. sanctions list in 2023 as part of the JCPOA of 2015, the Joint Agreement 
under which Iran agreed to restrictions on its nuclear program in exchange for relief from punitive sanctions. Remember that name, Rezada, Netanyahu said in an 18th speech where he presented the first publicly known photo of him and outed him. So, whether it was Israeli intelligence, American intelligence, or a combination thereof, God bless him. The world is safer with a nuclear scientist trying to create a nuclear weapon for a suicidal government that believes in an end-of-time scenario in which they destroy the world. Now, before we leave this topic, I have to tell you, there is a piece out of Farce News, which again is, is an Iranian media, but why would they lie about this? Barack David, I'm sorry, Barack Ravid, a uh, diplomatic correspondent at Walla News, contributed to Axios from Tel Aviv, had the following to say. He said, amazing new details from the Fakhrizad assassination emerge in the Iranian press, that it was done using an automatic machine gun operated with a remote control and not with any gunmen on the ground. According to the report, Fakhrizad and his wife were on their way to spend the weekend at their house in a Tehran suburb. There were three security cars with them, and at a certain point, the leading car left the motorcade to do a preliminary security check of the house. Now, this is translated from Farsi. Right after the car at the front of the motorcade left shots were fired on Fakhrizadeh's car, and it stopped. He stepped out of the car thinking his car had hit an object on the road or there was a problem with the engine. At that point, shots were fired again from a Nissan pickup, which stopped 150 meters from Fakhrizadeh's car. I thought Nissan pickups were just used by ISIS. The shots were fired from an automatic machine gun, which mounted on the pickup truck and operated by remote control. By the way, the owner of that vehicle had left Tehran on October 29th, earlier this year. Fakhrazada was hit by three bullets. One hit him in the spine. Seconds later, the Nissan pickup truck exploded in what looks like a self-destruct mechanism. According to Fars News, Iranian security forces identified the owner of the pickup truck and that he had left Iran earlier. It lasted three minutes in total for the entire operation. It was done by remote control with no gunmen on the ground. So, just fascinating that those details come out. Why are they pushing out those details? Not sure why the Iranian news would do that. Maybe to alert others in Syria and elsewhere that this is a technique that's being used. Many reasons to do that. But I want to end this discussion on the Iranian regime with a quote from one of my favorite reformers in, from Iran. Her name is Masih Alinejad, trying to help release so many of the prisoners of conscience. She notes that the Islamic Republic is not a victim of terrorism, but is a perpetrator of terrorism. In the past four decades, they have assassinated hundreds of dissidents at home and abroad. Just yesterday, the court in Belgium started hearings on how the RRI, the Iranian regime, intelligence diplomat, was behind a bomb plot in Paris. Some of the dissidents that have been imprisoned, she lists in a long, long list, assassinated by the Islamic Republic at home and abroad in the past four decades. They are the primary perpetrator of terrorism around the world.
My good friend Adam Credo had a great piece this week on Secretary Pompeo passing the torch to the Biden administration, touting a fundamentally realigned globe as he finishes his last week in office as Secretary of State. I'm sure the Biden administration can't wait to unravel a lot of the work that's been done. There's been some good reports this week that Israel, the United States, and other folks who believe in peace through strength are working assiduously to cement some of the changes so that it can't be unraveled by those who would rather see the United States and others surrender to power abroad. Already we're hearing that the Biden administration is talking about appointing cabinet secretaries, for example, the Secretary of Defense that would openly say that it's not about military strength but about diplomacy, that they will openly say they will not use military engagement. Now listen, as a former Navy officer, I've always been all about, and as a doctor, always been all about never, never war unless absolutely, absolutely necessary to respond to a threat to innocence. But we know, as Reagan, I think, proved better than any in our last generation, that strength is what deters war, and that appeasement and weakness and surrender politically, ideologically, positionally, militarily, economically, whatever it might be, is the best path to war. That's the quickest path to war is when your enemies who are imperialistic regimes like China, like Iran, like Russia, when they see us weak and they try to fill vacuums, acquiring genocidal regimes like Syria, And otherwise, they will rush to fill that and see the opening. And that's what may happen. And what is Secretary Pompeo's legacy? Great interview with Adam at the Free Beacon. And it's true. They will, the Biden administration will inherit a fundamentally realigned globe from what the Obama-Biden administration left in 2016. Many of the Trump administration's signature foreign policy achievements from crushing the Iranian regime with sanctions to moving the U.S. embassy in Israel to Jerusalem were met with fierce pushback from leaders. And yet, no blowback that they thought was going to unravel into conflict. The world, from militants to regimes, saw that as strength. They didn't want to engage it. And it allowed things that were connected to linkage, linkage meaning that you solve the Palestinian crisis, it's all going to solve everything else. Not true. It was a deception. Pompeo notes that we got America in the Middle East in a much better place. I think the American people get it, he said. I think the people in Europe get it. I know the people throughout the Middle East get it, and that is realism. It rests on a set of foundations that are unassailable. Pompeo focused on Iran and his ability to, and the United States' ability to contain the threat significantly, weaken their economy, and help a revolution and dissidents gain strength and momentum against a regime. And that ultimately the best anti-nuclear program would ultimately be helping pave the way 
for internal change in Iran. That's not that's not nation building. We're not sending troops. We're not sending our, our broad wealth. We are simply containing evil so that the people can internally decide without the foreign support and regional support that economies such as remember Boeing was going to set up shop in Tehran and 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 I think Lockheed others got I don't even know which companies but the bottom line is is that was an ill-fated economic improvement gift to hor- to a horrific regime that ended with the Trump administration uh, Iran is now more isolated than it's ever been Pompeo said and now the Gulf states are working together in ways that literally four years ago, I don't think anybody would have been believed was possible. And you see now the Abraham Accords with the UAE, with Bahrain. So many more coming. Morocco, Egypt possibly. Egypt already has an accord with Israel, but as far as openly verbalizing a recognition theologically and politically of Israel, that's what I just found amazing is that the difference this time, and possibly Saudi Arabia is on the way, the difference this time was that the government's call for partnership with Israel was met with theologians. Now, granted, they're employed by the government. I get it. But still, those were steps that were never taken by the previous countries in the Middle East that sometimes said they were at peace with Israel. They still had imams and school teachers and others radicalizing their population by insisting that Israel is the enemy, that Jews are all the anti-Semitic tropes that exist. But that changed. They're not talking about partnership. They're not talking about equality. They're talking about the passage that recognizes Israel, even mentions it as a state in the Quran. These are things that we had never thought possible before. Happened under the Trump administration under Secretary Pompeo. He notes that whether it's in the Gulf states or Israel, I think that they have come to appreciate that the policies that this administration put in place are the ones that are the best for them for their relationship and partnership with the United States of America. And he notes that the peace accords are also a sign of deeper U.S. ties with Israel's traditional enemies. The UAE is in line to receive more than $20 billion in U.S. weapons, including 50 F-35s, Oh, which Ilhan Omar vociferously disagreed with this week. And she asked what that money could do to help the poor. And as Ben Shapiro points out, he's like, do you not understand how weapons sales go? That money would not have been given to help the poor if it wasn't sold to the UAE. Those are being made. They're employing American citizens to make them and we provide the permission for that sale and let's see what Ilhan Omar would say by the way and this is my commentary but I think it's very very important (laughs) what would she say to a similar sale to Qatar or to Turkey as her primary compass is Islamist is about the Islamist movements Those two countries are all in with Iran and the Muslim Brotherhood and their own AKP in Turkey. And I imagine with Qatar, she would find no problem with it. But with the UAE, which is pro-Israel, pro-American, 
and far more modernized, she's against it. Pompeo, Pompeo points out that a massive military package that only would have been approved for Israel in years past is now going to the UAE. That's a legacy. I wanted to touch base with it. I wanted to cover it with you because I want it to be archived, to go back and listen to this podcast three months, 12 months, two years into a Biden administration and see what they try to unravel. And here you have, at the end of the Trump administration, a discussion of some of the things they achieved. No war. No advancement of troops militarily. An acknowledgement that you cannot win these conflicts militarily, but that you have to do it through strength. Let's see what the Biden administration brings. I fear that they're going to bring the worst of the Obama administration, as Ben Rhodes already is seeming to have a central role. And it's interesting, he in his own book criticized their approach to Syria, which he led, and he influenced significantly. And now he's back and empowering the same monster that fed Assad and prevented him from being overthrown by his own people. Let's talk about what's happening in France. I've talked about it a few times. Last time we talked about Austria that had is making moves to try to outlaw the idea of political Islam. Now France, remember the place in which the teacher Samuel Paddy was killed by an ISIS radical Islamist? Now France supposedly is looking at a new law in which Muslim children could be singled out supposedly. Now, again, I'm taking this from an op-ed by an Islamist. His name is Ahmed Kartal. And he claims that Muslim children could be forced to bear ID numbers. Now, he begins his op-ed by comparing it to the Nazis and the way Jews were numbered. I, I just... As much as you can find similarities in various things that may have happened in history, the invocation of the Holocaust, the most horrific crime against humanity done by human beings of the Nazis and what they did to the Jewish community, to invoke that so quickly as is wont to do is just, it's just so inappropriate. No, I'm not supporting IDs of Muslim children. We have to be careful as things evolve not to invoke a slippery slope because it dismisses the entire argument. And so many wonderful people that work in anti-Semitism have pointed that out, that the the attempt to link everything to a, a slippery slope towards the Holocaust ends up not only demeaning or, or decreasing what actually happened in the Holocaust, it ends up preventing you from making the point that you need to in a rational way. In this op-ed, Katal, Kartal, rather is his name, notes that 
Macron's government is trying to pass a new law which will induce strict restrictions on homeschooling and reportedly give ID numbers to Muslim children to establish a closer monitoring system against the danger of radicalization. And then he goes on to talk about and link it to what Macron has called Islamist separatism. Now, the Islamist separatism issue is very valid and does need to be addressed. But if they're attempting to... Now, maybe it's all about homeschooling, and if the predominant people that are homeschooled are Muslim, this writer might be then saying that it applies to Muslims. Now, if France has some mandatory education and they want to make sure that kids are being educated and they're concerned about those that don't go through the educational system because of separatist issues, you know, that's a valid public concern now. Is the solution the way, is is their solution of, of identifying them and tracking them appropriate? It doesn't sound appropriate, at least from an American perspective, from a perspective of freedom and one in which we in the United States consider religion a, a, a first liberty from which all others come, that we are a nation under God, and especially the ability to homeschool and school choice and all these other aspects of what I consider conservative values. This would be an anathema to that. So, I'm not sure what this legislation is all about. Notes that the draft legislation is set to come before the French cabinet on December 9th. We'll have to watch for that, and I'll follow up with all of you on that. But the unique ID number is to track them. Now, one of the first pieces of evidence that that's in some ways silly is tracking Innocent people who've never committed a crime sort of flies in the face of a system in which even when they committed crimes and left prison and were known wolves, they were left to commit it again. How many of these radical Islamists that joined ISIS came back from Syria and could have been tracked because of that? They went in to serve as militant Islamists. How many came back to fight against their own countries as traitors? in France, Belgium, Germany, wherever it might be, that should have been tracked and the security services didn't. Now they want to track every Muslim? I'm not sure that's what's happening. We'll have to follow this. The bill, drafted by Interior Minister Gerald Darmanin and Justice Minister Eric dupont moretti would be used supposedly by reports to ensure that Muslim children are attending school. We must save our children from the clutches of Islamists. Amen. We must save our children from them. But not for a second do I believe that taking away parental rights is a way to ensure that you defeat an ideology because it will drive it underground. Just like what's happening in Austria will drive it underground. You defeat good, bad ideas with good ideas. You defeat bad upbringing with better societal integration and programs that will defeat the Islamist programs, that will make the kids want to be individuals, be independent, whether it's through social networks or whatever it might be, to begin to put pressure on those neighborhoods to integrate. But by force, forcing kids to attend schools that their parents don't want them to attend, 
I don't see as a mechanism of Islamic reform that's necessary to do these things. Lots more to come. Last but not least, I have to take a second and reflect on, I saw a piece going around from earlier this year on 9-11 from a Muslim Marine by the name of Mansoor Shams. And you go to his website and it's just sort of this self-promotional deal about muslimmarine.org. And, you know, God bless him for his service. Thank you for serving. But I have to tell you, I didn't say much initially on 9-11 when I saw this piece because I didn't think that, uh, you know, it, to me, it was sort of uh, in the background noise. And he makes some, you know, wrote a piece for CNN.com about how the title was, I'm a Muslim Marine, I'm a Muslim U.S. Marine, and I served on 9-11. Well, God bless him. Thank you for his service. My criticism is not about what he said in the piece. It's pretty apple pie motherhood talks about remembering 9-11 raising his hand to support the u.s constitution and wanting to fight you can't disagree with any of it but if this was 9-11-2002 perfect wouldn't have any criticism even 9-11-2005 well maybe then i want him to mention the 7-7 bombing in london but now we're 9-11-2020 a few months after, obviously. And it's no longer just about 9-11. You've had the product of an Arab awakening. You've had ISIS that got generated out of that cauldron of initially what appeared to be appropriate pushbacks against vicious tyrants, dictators. But out of that came the Islamists that looked at democracy as a majoritocracy in which they won. And so we as Muslims, before we lecture Americans anymore, and they've, we've had a few years of that, they withstood the lecturing about who we are and what we do and how much we contribute, but enough with the identity politics. These op-eds are getting pushed, and now we're going to see more of it. And that's why I wanted to talk about it today, is that we saw today or this week sometime, appointed to the Biden administration one of the staffers from Senator Durbin, and her name is Rima Doden. She worked for, yep, Joe Zogby, family member of the Zogbys that run the Arab American Institute and are apologists and often very closely in bed and often, I believe, receive some funding from major Islamist support of governments in the Middle East. She has worked closely with the Council on American-Islamic Relations, and I can tell you that she worked closely often with folks that testified against our work at the Muslim Reform Movement, against Ezra Nomani, against myself and others in hearings that talked about Muslim radicalization, and she helped orchestrate after she came out of the Muslim Student Association farm team and was noted to be very close to Muslim advocates run by Farhana Kara that never saw a Muslim victim that they didn't want to exaggerate 
and focus on when in fact that was their only approach. Never to fight Islamism, never to fight the ideology of political Islam, but always to look at Muslim Americans as victims rather than folks that live in a land of opportunity that can use this opportunity to defeat the root cause of radical Islam, which is political Islam and its theocratic supremacist ideology. So we look back at Mr. Shemp's op-ed on 9-11, and you see that he's lecturing to the American people about how he was blessed to have served, but that he sort of had enough with people approaching him simply because he's a Muslim. That that shouldn't matter. That faith should no longer be part of the calculus. And he actually talked about the fact that while he didn't think Most Marines were discriminatory or racist. He did talk about feeling that there was discrimination that happened in the Marines and that it reflected some of what was happening in civilian America against Muslims and that he was called things like the Taliban or Osama bin Laden and others as he served. Now, I'm not going to take away the facts that 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 might have happened to him, but is it in the best interests of America and American Muslims to highlight these things. Nobody's denying that they exist. But are they simply a 0.1% phenomenon or is it our primary problem? And if you want to do away with that and you perceive it to be a significant issue of bigotry in America and within the Marines, do you address it now 19 years after 9-11? You continue to focus on that or do we grow? And that's my main point is that It's like the worst Groundhog Day movie I've ever seen is that they keep republishing these pieces and they keep reappointing Islamists as if we Muslims are stuck in the 13th century. This Rima Doden that Biden picked as his legislative coordinator in the White House to work with the Hill. Yes, the woman that orchestrated the Islamist apologists for the Democratic Party against every hearing on radicalization that we had that I, can, that I know of post-9-11 through Senator Durbin's office is now going to be running interference for the White House with legislative affairs. So political Islam, ladies and gentlemen, has reached the American Congress not only through, not only through Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and all her buddies at the squad at AOC and others, but also now through the White House legislative office. And that's fine. Do they want a seat at the table? No problem. They are part of the Islamic community, significant part of it. But I don't believe they're a majority. Neither do most Muslims that I know believe they're a majority. And yet, they are continuing to dominate the representation of our faith, especially in the the left. Well, this victimology, this victimology... And yeah, you know, Shem says in his op-ed from a few months ago, to be absolutely clear, I'm not saying that the Marine Corps is full of racists and bigots. I'm just saying, unfortunately, racism and bigotry also exist within the armed forces. Not once does he mention the responsibility of American Muslims to reform the ideas that create Islamic republics like Iran, Islamic republics with Sharia law 
with Hadood and blasphemy laws like Pakistan or Wahhabis like Saudi Arabia or the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. These are massive movements that are influencing Muslims all over the planet and cannot be dismissed. And if we are going to work against them, we need to develop an ideological infrastructure that stands against them. And if he can't even use the word Islamism once in an essay 19 years post 9-11, devoid of history of where Islam is 1,440 years since its inception, still needing an enlightenment movement, still needing an anti-theocratic movement, a pro-liberty, pro-freedom movement, we are stuck. So as you start to pay attention to who's representing the Muslim community in Biden's White House, on the pages of legacy media, please remember there are other voices out there, Muslims. Please remember that it's not just about who sits in the White House. If they really care about diversity, they will start to bring in other voices. And I don't care what you thought about, you know, whatever the dysfunction or dynamics it was of the Trump White House, he brought in people and dismissed and finally started to recognize that there were other voices globally on the streets of Tehran, on the streets of the UAE, Arab countries and elsewhere that would recognize Israel, that are pro-American, that are pro-Western, that do not need to toe the line of Islamists and they don't need to fill the halls of the White House. You can invoke other reasons as to why that happened, but the bottom line is, is finally there was at least a little breather for some diversity ideologically for Muslims. All right, folks, it's always great to talk to you. hope you are having a wonderful week as we enter December and staying healthy, staying away from the virus and all the other things out there that threaten us. This is your friend, correspondent, American Muslim Patriot, this is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser and at Reform This Radio. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.